You're about to listen to Tanya's take, Race, Culture, and the Culture of Race. Hi friends, it's Tanya from Tanya's Take, and today's episode is going to be about double standards and bias. And I'm going to jump right in in just a minute, but first I want to ask you to please like, review, subscribe, follow at Tanya's Take on Instagram, spread the word, anything that you can do to let other people know about the podcast helps bring in new listeners and I would appreciate it. So very, 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 very much. Uh, I wanted to tell you that I'm going to be performing a piece that I wrote. I uh, am part of a collection called True Stories About Love, Volume 2. I have a piece in there about my mom called Mero, and I'm going to be reading the piece on May 7th at City Winery in Chicago. Tickets are available now. They're $15. It's at noon. There will be brunch. There will be other authors reading their stories, and I'm excited about it. And if you could come out and join us, please come say hi. I'd love to see you. Also, the entire collection, True Stories About Love, Volume 2, is available on Amazon. Today, we're going to talk about double standards and bias. And I have some examples from culture that illustrate the weaponization of bias, but also how boring it is. Now, the episode's not boring, but again, this weaponization of bias is boring because honestly, this month, I I wasn't exactly sure what to talk about. And then these examples that I'm going to expand upon came up and I was like, well, I could talk about that, but also, isn't it really boring by now? I mean, it's like tired, I would think. Uh, And here's what I mean. And it connects to The last episode, the book club episode on um, critical race theory by Victor Ray, why it matters and why you should care. So in that book, he talks about the cyclical nature of institutional and systemic racism, which is sort of the idea of like two steps forward in progress, three steps back. So throughout our historical timeline, we have, you know, the Civil War. Then we have Reconstruction. Then we have Jim Crow. Then we have the Civil Rights Act. Then we have Reagan. Cut to Obama. Fall way, 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 way back to Trump, right? So the things I've observed this week is an example of that cyclical nature. In other words, these tools, these weapons have been used before. And they are the ones that are always resorted to to the point where it's so obvious and unoriginal, you would think they would do better, but they don't. And so what I wanted to do was point them out. Many of you will already recognize them, but then talk about why it's important to not let the fact that it's old and tired wear us down and think that it's not worth talking about. That's the key reason behind this is really emphasizing the importance of talking about it anyway. So here's what I mean. So a few weeks ago, Bill's watching girls basketball, and there is a player by the name of Caitlin Clark, and she is like this phenom. She plays for the Iowa Hawkeyes. She's a total badass. She makes these amazing shots. Um, And that night, Iowa beat the other team 
which meant they were going to move on to the national championship. And, you know, as far as sports goes, I become a fan when I see like the embodiment of excellence and prowess and when there's a good story, when there's good characters, you know? So the fact that this woman is receiving all these accolades and it's contributing to more people watching women's basketball drew me in. So I was like, I'm going to watch the finals. This is exciting. I didn't know at the time that uh, her team would be playing against LSU, the LSU Tigers. So LSU has a player named Angel Reese, and she's a sophomore, and she is also a phenom. And her nickname is Bayou Barbie because she's into makeup and fashion, and um, she has a huge following. She is a young black woman. Caitlin Clark is a young white woman. So cut to the game on Sunday, and that's when I came to learn that the LSU Tigers are a team of vibrant, predominantly uh, black women, right? And I'm not going to lie, I was drawn to them. Uh, and that's, that's my bias, right? I mean, Issa Rae <laughs> has been quoted uh, saying, I'm rooting for everyone black. And, you know, mostly I was rooting for women's basketball and the fact that it's getting more attention. Um, but also these young women are so strong and had such autonomy and what appeared to be a strong sense of self and fabulous hair. So I just fell in love with them. So LSU wins. And not only do they win, they make history because LSU has never won any basketball title in its entire history. So Angel Reese, after the game, uh, tracks down Caitlin Clark and she puts her hand in front of her face. And this is a gesture that Caitlin Clark is known for. And basically it's like, you know, trash talk. You can't see me. And it's a way to intimidate opponents. And also Angel Reese pointed to her ring finger to illustrate um, the championship ring that her team just won. And Caitlin Clark is ignoring it. She's tough. She's not going to let it, you know, get under her skin, whatever. Um, this dynamic is one of the reasons that people are gravitating towards women's basketball in the first place, or why it's becoming more and more popular, because these young women are behaving the same way as the male basketball players, right? So here's the double standard. When Caitlin Clark did the same thing, put her hand in front of her face, uh, she was heralded as a stone cold killer and competitive and intelligent and entertaining. This is, you know, before this game between uh, Iowa and LSU. When Angel Reese did the exact same thing, her behavior in the media was called taunting, lacking sportsmanship and class. So, white girl does it, yay! Black girl does it, Nay. Right? And this double standard emerged immediately. It didn't take two seconds. And, you know, it's a double standard rooted entirely in the dominant culture's bias narrative on how white people are allowed to behave versus how black people are expected to behave, right? So a black person can't be proud. A black person can't be confident. A black person can't be boastful on a public platform. No, 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 no right? Especially a black woman. 
So when I saw that, uh, you know, the reactions were going to be just so um, typical, right? Oh, Black woman does it. She must be criticized. She must be villainized. Poor Caitlin Clark. All of it, right? I was just like, ugh, this is so obvious. This is so boring, right? And it's really a setup because it's like, or I should say, rather than a setup, it's an opportunity, right? Because at least these folks are saying the quiet part out loud. They're not even trying anymore. They're not even trying to be like <laughs> nuanced or covert, right? Two seconds after a black woman does the exact same thing that a white woman does, they have, you know, every name in the book to call her. That's obvious, right? They aren't even bothering to be creative. And so where it matters is this is the, becomes the cultural conversation. This is be, what becomes a part of the cultural zeitgeist. Whether you watch basketball or not, you might have gotten some wave of this conversation happening within media, right? Or in the office or at the grocery store, whatever. And if we don't challenge it when we hear it and call it out, especially when it's this obvious, then ultimately we're contributing to it. So if we take the opportunity when they're leaving such an obvious trail, then we are working to dismantle it, right? So you can't dispute white girl, yay, black girl, nay. There's nothing else to, su to support or prove why the opinion changes other than the color of the player's skin, right? And so that's where, rather than letting it wear us down and be like, oh my God, I can't even be bothered. This is so boring. It is important to speak up in those moments, right? Because if we don't, that's how it becomes embedded in our culture's narrative. And that's what fuels policy, legislation, favoritism in the classroom, on and on and on. Then our first lady, Jill Biden, makes it worse, right? So she really drives home the obviousness of this by suggesting that uh, maybe they invite both teams to the White House. So traditionally, the winning team goes to the White House and Jill Biden muses out loud that, you know, it was such a good game because they played such a good game. Maybe they should invite both teams. The LSU player, young black woman, was called bullshit. She made the point that if LSU lost her team, the predominantly black team, they wouldn't have been invited. Biden wouldn't have felt compelled to give them a participation prize, right? But because our cultural narrative has such an urge to protect white women, here she was saying, everybody gets to go. I can't bear to have these young women, the white team, or the team with predominantly white women, be disappointed, right? So Biden has since walked back that invitation, but you know, again, it's so obvious. And rather than just be like, same old, same old, we can use this type of behavior, these moments as fuel. So Caitlin Clark has dismissed all the criticism of Angel Reese and has not bought into the narrative, thank God. And what I mean by dismissed is like when asked about it, she's like, it's fine. What are people talking about? She played a great game. She's a great player. Yes, only LSU should go to the White House. Like she's not buying into it at all. Now, some people have criticized that like, 
going to her for her opinion is somehow seeking white validation. I don't think that's true. And I think it's really important that Caitlin Clark is using her voice to um, counter this narrative that Angel Reese uh, uh, is doing something wrong, right? If she doesn't speak up, then it's only Angel Reese who's calling it out, right? And she is being torn down and referred to as woke or using the race card, right? But if Caitlin Clark, a white woman, stands up and calls bullshit, people are more likely to listen. And that's what being an anti-racist in action is about, is speaking up. Here's another example of the double standard of bias, right? So the optics are wild here. In Tennessee, two black male presenting Democratic lawmakers, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, were expelled from the House by a 72 to 25 vote for breaching the rules of decorum by using bullhorns, speaking without being recognized, and leading protests calling for gun restrictions. Okay? So this is in the aftermath of the deadly shooting in Nashville, where six people were killed, including three children, right? So uh, three lawmakers were involved in this. Jones, Pearson, and a woman named Gloria Johnson, a white woman. Okay. So ultimately what they did is they joined in protesting last week as hundreds of demonstrators packed the Capitol to call for passage of gun control measures. As the protesters filled the galleries, the three approached the front of the House chamber with a bullhorn and participated. This I'm pulling from um, an article uh, released by NPR. So rather than be censored, which would have been, you know, a more um, uh, realistic consequence for choosing to join the protesters, these two young men were expelled. And the white woman who joined them was not. So the vote to expel her didn't go through. There weren't enough votes. They're black, she's white. And then when they asked her, the media, why she thought she was allowed to stay, she said, I think it might be because of the color of my skin. She said something like that. Like, is that not the pot calling the kettle white? Is that a saying? Should I make it a saying? And again, like, everybody is saying, scholars, other people, um, other lawmakers, they're like, this expulsion is reserved for criminal conduct or abusive behavior, right? And, you know, it's the first time Multiple Tennessee legislators have been ousted in a single legislative session since 1866. That's how fat, far back we're going. So they have been banished, to quote Shakespeare. But they've also been reinstated, by the way. So I'm recording this on Monday, and all the shit went down towards the end of the week. They have been reinstated. But the fact that it happened at all is what we have to look at 
is what we cannot ignore, is what we need to speak to. Because what other possible reason on the face of this earth would the two gentlemen who are black, who participated in the protest, be expelled, and the white woman who also did is not expelled? Now, mind you, Republicans hold a supermajority in the chamber, yeah? And these uh, lawmakers are Democrats. So this is how that double standard of bias, right? These two young black men who want to advocate um, for rights and for gun control, plus being black, that's a, that's a combo that these Republicans, uh, any opportunity that they have, they're going to try to take them out. And they did. Until the voices were too loud and it was clear that it could not stand. So the Republicans in this case weren't trying to be stealth or coy. Their racism and bias was out there for all to see. And we didn't ignore it, right? So that's, again, the part. Because I think their trick is we're going to just keep doing the same old things over and over and over again. And the boredom and the exasperation is going to cause us to ignore it and let it be seen for something else, right? So if we're not saying, whoa, 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 let's call it for what it is. The two black men are, are expelled. The two black men are expelled. The white woman is not. That is bias. That is racism. That is unacceptable, right? Versus what might have happened in the past, which is people might have sensed that, felt it, seen it for themselves, but not given it voice, which is how it perpetuates. I want to clarify, I, I know for a fact that Jones was reinstated. Uh, I'm still looking for confirmation that Pearson was reinstated. One of the Republicans had the nerve to call their peaceful protest the equivalent of what happened on January 6th with the insurrection. And again, this is part of the hypocrisy and the double standard, because the, uh, there are the conservatives who, to this day, are defending uh, the insurrectionists, saying that it was, you know, them just exercising their right to express their opinion, freedom of speech, whatever, right? But then when it's two young black men uh, peacefully joining a protest, all of a sudden now they acknowledge the dire nature of the insurrection, but only when it's being weaponized to oppress. And there's just layers and layers to it. It's just, it's like never ending when you just look at like, you know, it's the same argument with people who gain plastic surgery for whatever reason that they might um, feel that some sort of an enhancement or a change, a nose job, a breast reduction, breast enlargement, have the nerve then to uh, say that trans people don't have the right to have gender affirming surgery. It's all the same thing, people. Double standard based in bias. And that leads us to another example of the double standard, this whole drag debate, right? The way conservatives are weaponizing it, banning drag if a child is anywhere near the performance, when apparently 
uh, drag and politics have been intertwined since World War One and Two. So there's an op-ed in the Chicago Tribune that I found of interest. Now there's a lot of, I have some, a lot of problems with the article as well, but uh, the editorial board made this point uh, that uh, presidents like Reagan and Dwight Eisenhower enjoyed drag queens, that drag and drag queens have been a part of Republican events. Um, since then, uh, you know, drag queens used to entertain the troops, all of these things. Um, like I said, some of the article is gobbledygook and even dangerous, but I think this point is sound. I also actually pause to think about the bias and prejudice inherent in drag queens performing for largely white cisgender audiences. I also think it's important to note that there's a difference between drag performed by cisgender heterosexual men for cisgender heterosexual audiences, right? So that's not the same as gay or trans men or women performing drag for predominantly gay or allied audiences. So it's mostly the difference between being in on the joke or being the butt of the joke. Uh, I argue that the type of drag made popular way back then during World War I and II was more about upending masculinity versus celebrating femininity or self-expression. But it is still drag, and it has been intertwined with the Republican Party all along. So that these Republicans claiming that it is predatory and harmful to children, who, of course, they're not going to know or understand all the nuance of the true drag community, right? So they're kicking it all out, the baby with the bathwater, even the stuff that they have been party to and participating in all along, right? So nobody's kicking drag queens out of Republican conventions where children are present, right? Um, there are freaking sexual predators and pedophiles within the Republican Party, not to say that those may or may not exist in the Democratic Party, but, you know, um, Gloria Johnson, the white woman who was not expelled, but also participated in the protest, uh, she made that point, right? She actually tweeted, did I mention this admitted child molester was made chairman of one of our education committees? This uh, man, David Byrd, apparently, is one of the lawmakers, um, and he, admi he admitted to molesting three children, right? And a Democrat tried to expel him from government, but the Republicans refused and continue to support and protect them. But they, they thought they were justified and had grounds to expel these two young men. By the way, these two men are stars. If you have an opportunity to look up the video of them speaking um, in, on their own defense, it is stunning. And the history of our greatest orators, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, it's really something. And it's really hopeful and it's really exciting. And they shall not be moved, right? Um, the Republicans just thought they could just sweep them away. And, and it, it could not stand. And there's the hope. And there's the opportunity. So that if anybody were to say, well, I don't understand. I mean, whatever. They broke the rules. They should have been expelled. You know, you cite the fact, oh, then why wasn't the white woman? You cite the fact that, oh, why is there still a pedophile 
you know, it's like being fluent in these arguments so that you can just nip these things in the bud. Don't get lost in the, the weeds, but nip it in the bud. So the article argues that uh, drag has a long and frankly distinguished history. And I argue that the drag we see on RuPaul's Drag Race and the black and brown drag queens who led the Stonewall riots set the die for distinction. They are the most distinguished of all. Um, not necessarily the drag that was happening in World War I and World War II. Um, but again, these individuals who in real time save the lives of children who see and feel themselves reflected in the glitter and shine of these performers living out loud, demanding to be seen. So we can't let the but the kids argument fool us, right? And this is another opportunity to nip things in the bud because when someone is using that but the children tactic, they are trying to emotionally sandbag you. And when someone says but the children, you can nip it in the bud with the kids are all right. It's the adults who need serious help. And we need to stay ahead of this because, you know, who knows what's next? Interracial marriage, marriage between people of the same gender. Someone is going to weaponize their bias there. They already have. They'll do it again. It's cyclical. I mean, look at, you know, what Clarence Thomas said. Uh, you know, in his opinion, uh, concurring or agreeing with the Supreme Court's decision, I'm reading this, to overturn the constitutional right to abortion established in Roe versus Wade, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote that the high court should revisit all cases built on similar legal footing, including cases that guarantee the right to contraception, same-sex consensual sexual relations, and same-sex marriage. So again, he said the quiet part out loud. We have to pay attention. And I want to emphasize, I think, because I know I'm talking about two things, right? That we have to be ready and stay ready for when these blatant examples of bias are displayed so we can nip them in the bud if someone is trying to distract from more important things, right? Expelling these two lawmakers when they're asking for um, better gun control, right? So we have to address it and get right back to focusing on gun control versus get totally caught up in it and then nothing happens with gun control, right? So we need to use them as examples and then keep fighting the good fight. All right, so those are some examples. I hope those are some action items, right? Not just in these conversations. But the more and more obvious this stuff is becoming, you see it. So say something. Don't let it get you down. Don't let it lull you into a bored stupor. Let it fuel you. Activate you. Zap it out. Move on. Stay vigilant, y'all. I believe I'm in the well today because you have put forward a resolution that says that it's more important to expel voices of dissent than do the work of justice, which is fighting to end gun violence in the state of Tennessee. I believe that I'm in the well today because I 
uh, with the courage of ancestors and family and loved ones and communities stood up and spoke up for folks like my classmate Larry Thorne who can speak no more because of the proliferation of guns in Tennessee. I, I believe that I'm in the well today uh, because you have decided that it is not uh, right to have debate. It is not right to listen to the voices of the minority. I believe I'm in the well today because on the day that we wanted to honor the thousands of people who protested, uh, we were denied that opportunity. I believe that I'm here because you feel in your heart that it is right to persecute someone who has committed no crime, who has only broken what you call the house decorum rule, which according to section 19 of the house permanent rules of order say that at worst, the thing that should happen is censure. But instead, you have brought forward a terrible resolution to deprive and disenfranchise thousands of people in Shelby County of a representative who will and can speak and advocate for them. And I believe, uh, Representative Farmer, that that is wrong. 